I think it's fair to say that I'm a positive kind of guy. I tend to look at the glass half full. I like to get up in the morning and pull back the curtains and face the day with a cheerful outlook. On the other hand, I am also very burdened by the state of American Christianity and for the sake of American souls. I have a fair amount of time that I spend with Christians during the week. I have a fair amount of time that I spend in casual conversation with other Christians and even with other pastors. And what I experience more than often than not, more often than not, is a, a level of superficiality and trivial approach to the Scripture and towards the things of God in Christ that is downright alarming. It's disheartening to me. Um, somehow, some way, at some point, it, it was taken upon us that that as long as we're attending a successful enough church, as long as we've got enough programs running, and as long as people are being entertained well, that somehow something good is happening in our churches. But what is happening is that it's producing very shallow, felt-need-driven Christians. People who are more concerned about getting their felt needs met, and on an insistent level, by the way, than they are about the interests of Christ in their life. Now, that's not being negative. That's just simply what's happening. What I'm saying to you is that American Christianity has strayed off the path of peace. The path of peace they have not known. Now, they may be able to pursue their personal interests, their career goals, their romance needs, their finance needs, their needs for personal significance as defined by the culture. But I'm warning you, it's not the path of peace. In other words, we're kind of right back there in the midst of humanity. We may be professing Christ, but we're behaving like the rest of humanity. Now, how's the rest of humanity behaving? Well, we have this incredible description in Romans chapter 3, don't we? As it is written, it says in verse 10, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And listen closely now. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. End quote. That's describing the general state of humanity, Jew and Gentile. 
in Romans chapter 3. Paul is lumping all of humanity together into that scope, into that barrel. And that's where we are. And only those who place Christ's interests as supreme in their life have any path to peace. The great deception and part of the great burden I share is that the deception is, is that people, by pursuing their felt needs, by pursuing their personal interests, by pursuing issues of romance and finance above and beyond the, the interests of Christ, they are told they're going to get what they need. They're going to told by be they're they're told in fact by being aggressive, by being obstinate, by pursuing those things that the flesh wants anyway, and doing it because after all God wants that for you, God God has blessed you for that. That they're going to get those things. But the fact is, they're headed for destruction. And if you are in Christ, and you have bought into this cultural lie that the primary purpose of life is romance and finance and personal significance and career success, then you're deceiving yourself. You've bought into the lie. Listen, there's only one path of peace. And that is the following in the footprints of Jesus. There's only one means by which you can gain genuine peace. And that is to walk as Christ walked in this world. But you wouldn't think so. I'm not kidding when I talk with you, tell you that every day I talk with people. Now, that might be a little hyperbole. Maybe it's not every day. But I, get, I think you catch my drift. On a regular, continuous basis, I talk to professing believers who are obsessed with issues of romance, finance, and personal success. They're obsessed with getting their felt needs met. The way, the path of peace they have not known. And the only promise that they can claim, hear me now, please. The only promise that they can claim is Isaiah 48, 22. And that is, there is no peace for the wicked, says Yahweh. Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace for the wicked, says Yahweh. What I mean by wicked? Aren't I a Christian? Yes. Aren't I in Christ? Okay then why are you pursuing everything but him? Why is he so far down the list? Now, I know, I know I'm sounding just like an old-fashioned Baptist preacher stumping and thumping his Bible. But I'm appealing to you today to recognize that the cultural that we in which we live in the American culture is on the decline morally, economically, socially, politically and that that is a strong current. The only way to safety is to step out of it, not to step into it and try to baptize it and make it a Christian thing. 
So I'm calling you today back to peace. I reminded you recently that the promise of shalom, the glorious sense of well-being, contentment, completeness, wholeness, comes to those who are born of the Spirit and those who continue to walk in and by the Spirit. And what we are witnessing today is the truth, the reality, that even those who have been born of the Spirit, who have begun by the Spirit, are tempted every day to step into and walk as if they were in the realm of the flesh. Their, their habitual patterns, which were crucified with Adam, are still lingering and they're still playing into them. And the promise is that the peace will lead them. There is no peace to the wicked. Something very similar said, said that, and it says that in Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And as waters toss up refuse and mud, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. I don't know that how that can be much clearer. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Why follow that path? So this is a call for you to return to the path of peace. If you are in Christ, return to the path of peace. Return to that for which you were saved, for which you were called. The great question before us then is if shalom belongs to those who are regenerate, those who are in Christ, those who are born of the Spirit, the great question is, if you are following this other path, if you are following the path of the culture, the wickedness of the culture, the promise of the culture, that if you pursue your felt needs and your needs for romance and finance and personal success, before and above Christ, that somehow that's going to work out. And if you are habitual there, if you are unrepentant, if you're hearing a voice like mine and others saying the same thing, calling you back, pleading with you, begging you back, and you stiffen your neck and you harden your heart, in order to pursue the promises of the culture, it's a legitimate question, my friend, to ask whether or not you are regenerate, whether you are born of the Spirit, whether or not you are even in Christ. Let me remind you that to be born of the Spirit is not an option. And to walk thereafter by the Spirit is not an option either. We recall that in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born of the Spirit. He must be born again. He must be born from above. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
in God's purpose, all roads to and from lead to and from this central truth. You must be born again, born of the Spirit. Now, to be born of the Spirit is to have something shifted in you. To be a regenerate person means that you are no longer being conformed to this world, Romans 12, 1 and 2, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. But listen, beloved, as I plead with you today, if you're, if you're walking and talking and acting like the culture, if your priorities are the same as any rank unbeliever within the culture, except that you go to church or you profess to be a Christian, then really, I think anyone has the right to question whether or not you've actually been born in the Spirit. Especially if you're hardening your heart to voices like you're hearing right now. Now, I'm not banging and clanging and haranguing you because I enjoy it. I'm doing it because I'm burdened for you. Most Christians, it is fair to say, most Christians live far below God's will for them as far as walking in peace, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Most Christians are just working hard to keep up with the cultural promises. Many churches today look more like retail outlets than they do places for gathering of the people of God. What are we to make out of this? You must be born of the Spirit. You must be born again. And if you are born again, you will look like it. You will sound like it. 1 John 2, 6 tells us that those who say they are in him ought to live as he lived, meaning Jesus. They ought to live as Jesus lived. Let me ask you today. Is walking, living, becoming more and more like Jesus the central passion of your life? Is becoming more like Jesus the driving purpose of your life? I can tell you right now, it is God's purpose for you. Romans 8, 28 through 30 tells us that it is God's purpose, his paramount purpose, for which he causes all things to work together for good, is to conform you into the image of his Son. 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4 speak very vividly clear about the fact that the new covenant was inaugurated by the blood of Jesus and his resurrection was a testimony to the new day that had begun. And Pentecost was a, another testimony to the fact that the age of the Spirit had begun. The new covenant age of the Spirit, which indwells God's people, conforming them and imparting holiness and love to them, had begun. Are you walking in that these days? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that he predestined us, he called us, that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. That's your calling. That's your purpose. 
Now, is it okay for you to pursue a romantic relationship if you're single and available? Of course. Is it okay for you to pursue healthy finances and a job that pays your bills and allows you to be of help to others and put a little bit aside for an emergency? Of course it is. I'm not speaking of rational thought here. I'm speaking of the irrational mindset that says that you live to get your sexual, mental, emotional, physical, and financial needs met. And you are insistent. That is the priority of your life. My dear brother and sister, if that's you, you have bought into a lie. Jesus meant it when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. At the root of all of this cultural pursuit for romance and finance and personal success, although it's baptized and looks very pious while you do it, you can even claim God's promises for health and prosperity. But at the root of it all is unbelief. At the root of all of it all is unbelief. You don't believe that God will and can meet your needs. You don't believe that God can and will meet your needs. Listen, he created you. He created Eve for Adam. God created, designed, informed the family. He provides family. He places the orphan in families, it says in Scripture. God provides us those things we need. But the culture says, no, no, if you, go, if you want it, if it's going to be, it's up to thee. It's up to you. You've got to pursue it. You've got to take, lay hold of it. You've got to be like a dog with a sock and never give up. Well, that's not the way of, of peace. That's not the path of peace. So you must be born again. You must be born of God. John 1, 12 through 13 says, It is a sovereign work of God. It is not inherited. It's not a human work. It's not a matter of free will, but of God. In other words, your life begins because God gives you life. You don't possess life in Christ because some choice you autonomously made and sovereignly made and God responded to. No. You possess life in Christ because of what God initiated and brought about in your life when you weren't even looking for him. Why will you now turn away from him in order to pursue the cultural promises? Now, I fully understand. Don't get me wrong. I understand that you can't make much strong distinction these days between what the church is peddling and what the culture is peddling. And you may be in the church and you may believe you're doing everything the right way. You're responding to the inspirational messages of your pastor. You're responding to the inspirational, culturally driven, felt needs, worship and music. You're, you're, you're playing the Christian book by the Christian rules. But that's been the case for God's people throughout the centuries. 
throughout redemptive history. They adopt all the characteristics of the surrounding nations and then still claim to be the people of God. It's not the path of peace. What I want for you is the path of peace. So how do you know if you're regenerate? You, you must be. Jesus said you must be born of God. You must be born of the Spirit. We learn in John chapter 1 that it's a sovereign work of God. It's not something you can inherit. It's not something you can bring about by your flesh. It's not even something, hear me now, that you can bring about by your own free will. It is a work of God. If you are in Christ, God has worked on your life. He has initiated. He has brought that about. John chapter 6 verse 44 tells us that no one comes to Christ on their own volition. It's a work of God. If you are in Christ, it is God's doing, not yours. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1. Let me turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 30 through 31 says this. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. In James 1.18, we're told that it is by an act of God's will, by his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Let me read that, James 1.18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. What I want you to grasp, beloved, is the, is the, is the magnitude and the glory and the wonder that God has plucked you from the as a brand from the fire. He raised you from the dead. Any metaphor that you want to use, God intervened and saved you at a time when you weren't even looking to be saved. You were your back had been turned away from God. You were walking away from him. Yet God drew you to his son. God raised you from the dead gave you spiritual life, regenerated you at a time when you were spiritually and morally dead, gave you new life, imparted the gift of faith by which you were united to Jesus Christ, and now that you are in him, you have new life in him. This is the glorious good news. And what I'm begging you today is now understand that your life is about him. Your old self has been crucified with Christ. Your new self has been raised with Christ. You are now in him, and your life is about him. It's not about your felt needs. It's not about your drive for success. It's not about your fear of scarcity. It's not about romance and finance. I can't stress this enough. What I want for you is joy. What I want for you is a righteousness, peace, and joy that comes when you're living out of the center of God's purpose for yourself. And that center, of course, is Jesus Christ. 
So how do you know if you're regenerate? How do you know? Well, let me close today with just a couple of quick points. How do you know? Maybe you're not. Maybe that's why you're pursuing cultural interests, because you're part of the culture. You're still in the world. You're still dead in sins and trespasses. If that's you, I pray that you'll listen to me even closer. How do you know that you are a genuine Christian? Well, John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus tells a group of people who said they believed in him that if they continued in his word, that they would prove themselves to be his disciples, truly his disciples, and that they would know the truth, and the truth would set them free. That's John chapter 8, verse 31. Now, sadly, those people rejected that. Those people rejected his teaching. Even as he spoke of following his teaching, they rejected his teaching. That's the normal course of humanity, by the way. And I might just add, that is the normal course for religious humanity. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus is addressing the Jewish leaders of Israel. The religious leaders of Israel. Some gathering of them had formed. And they had professed belief in him. And so when Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then are you truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. End quote. And instead of responding, Thank you. We will do so. We will abide in your word. We want to be made free. We will walk with you. We will walk closely to you. We will hang on every word that proceeds from your lips. Instead, they said, Hey, we are Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, they objected. They had another basis Another place where they found rest for their souls, they thought. And it wasn't Jesus. They, they had professed belief in him, in verse 30, as he was speaking these things. Many believed in him, it says. They believed that he was the Messiah, but they weren't interested in being set free. They didn't feel they needed to be. And perhaps you today don't feel your need to be free as well. Maybe anything that you need to you need to be free from is something you think you can free yourself from. But what Jesus is telling these people is that unless the Son sets them free, they will remain in bondage. And that bondage is to sin. And when sin brings forth its fruit, it's death. Eternal death. Listen, the culture has nothing to offer you. So, walking with Christ Taking that next step. If you've professed Jesus as Lord and Savior your life, the next step is for you to continue in his word and thus prove yourself to be his disciple. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The second way you can know that you're regenerate is because you love Jesus Christ. That is, the Jesus as revealed in the Bible. Never, seldom, I should say, have we seen so many alternative Jesus being offered by the culture. The series, The Chosen, 
any number of books, Sarah Young's Jesus Calling. I mean, there's just alternative Christs being offered on every corner, it seems like. Your only true hope is to look to the Scripture, pray for mercy, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you as he is found in the Scripture, and then you'll have the saving Christ. But love for Jesus Christ. So, continuing in his word and laying hold of the truth that sets you free and love for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about a quantity of love. I'm not talking about an ecstasy of love. I'm not talking about some kind of mystical love. I'm talking about a quality of love. Then in the midst of your stumblings and your imperfections and your falling and getting back up, the consistent reality for you is that you love Jesus Christ. It's not about perfection. It is about a quality of love for him that places his, him as supreme over your life, over your actions, over your desires, over your affections. During the Great Awakening of the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards helped us understand that there can be all kinds of religious activity. But if that religious activity does not affect your affections, then it's false activity. It's just a bunch of religious activity. It's just appearances. Is Jesus Christ supreme in your affections? Then you are a Christian. Then you are a regenerate person. Listen, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm an uncle. I have many good reasons to rejoice for my relationships. I love my wife. I value my children and grandchildren exceedingly. But no one, no one, including my wife, holds the place that Jesus Christ holds in my heart and mind. And I can tell you that my wife is a godly woman, and she would agree emphatically. <laughs> She would insist, in fact. So how do I know I'm regenerate? You know because you are devoted to continuing in his teaching so that you can appropriate the truth that sets you free. How do you know regenerate? you're regenerate? Because you love Jesus Christ supremely. And there's one other. There's one other evidence, and then we'll be done. There is a third evidence, and that is love for other Christians. Walking in his word, continuing in his word, loving him supremely, and love for other Christians. Now, this is where this is where the faith of most is tried and found wanting. Because it's easy to feign. I mean, you can carry a Bible around and pretend that you're really devoted to reading the Word of God. You can even pretend to love Jesus. But it's really hard to pretend to love people sacrificially. In other words, love them as Christ loves them. So here's where the faith of many get tried and found wanting. It is where we, the wheat is separated from the tares, the goats from the sheep, the hypocrite from the child of God. John fourteen fifteen, Jesus tells his 
disciples in the upper room hours before he was to be suffer was, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then verses 16 through 28 of John chapter 14, he spends his time speaking of the fact that loving him and obeying him will be the basis for the fellowship with the promised Holy Spirit. In verses chapter 51 through 11, we learn that obedience is the means of abiding in Christ and how important it is as he is the vine and we are the branches that we abide in him. In verses 12 through 17 of chapter 5 of John, we read another explicit command, love one another. Let me turn to 1 Peter real quick. It is inseparable. To love one another is inseparable from loving and obeying Jesus. It's seldom taught that way within the church these days. 1 Peter 1, says this, Since you have an obedience to the truth, so far so good, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a what? Love of the brothers. Without hypocrisy, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Listen, if you are born again, you are going to naturally grow to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one of the chief evidences that you are regenerate, is that you love the brethren. We know we have passed from death in the life, John says in his first letter, because we love the brothers and sisters. Verse John 2, verses, um, looks like it's 1 here, through 10, it's evidence that you're in the light. So how do I know if I'm born again? How do I know if I'm born of the Spirit? Your devotion to Christ's teaching, your love for Jesus Christ, and your love for other Christians. How do you know that you're off the path of peace? How do you know that you have stepped back into the stream of culture and away from your love for Christ, supreme love for Christ? Well, it's because you're pursuing your felt needs with a vengeance. When issues of romance and finance and personal success and comfort become all-encompassing, become all you think about. And the irony, the tragedy from which I'm trying to spare you is that to follow that path leads only to destruction. And I'm begging you, I'm calling you back today. Come back to the path of peace. May God grant us all mercy to do so. Amen.